Good morning, Delaware. Happy April. Hope things are going well for you. Uh, I know this is the second Friday in April, but we didn't do one. Didn't say it last week because it was April Fool's Day. You already would just it would have been a joke to, not to say. It, nobody so. would have. <laughs> nobody would have trusted us. Yeah, right. And that so. it could not happen with the library show. That's right. We can't make them not trust us. No, they've got to trust us. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's Nicole Fowles, who you hear on the the uh, the queue for uh, my ninety six. I like things that are mine. Yes. And yeah. I, you know, this morning, I was listening really early this morning. I started listening right at 6 o'clock when the show came out. Uh-oh. And I heard my, the thing I recorded. Oh, look at that. They only put that on like when, you know, the, during the you know, PSAs for you know, the, the, the National uh, Cirrhosis Foundation. They're meeting like a different uh, clientele. It's a different listener base. So speaking of different, we have Mark Bingaman on the board today. Hello. Uh, Gage, if you're out there listening, we miss you. But, uh, you know. You should call that company that you do the ads for. <laughs> <laughs> and our guest today is Katie Height. Hi, Katie. Good morning, George and Katie Nicole. is the assistant branch manager for adult services at the Orange Branch Library, and she's here to talk about National Poetry Month and the poetry, which we will talk about in the second half of the show. Mm-hmm. So, Nicole, what you been listening to, reading, binging on? I, I, I cannot stop laughing because uh, I have continued on with the <laughs> Emmy and Friends series. Yes. by Terry Liebenson. Terry, who we talked with, just was it just last week? Just last week. Just last week we talked with her um, about the series. And so we began, George and I had both read Invisible Emmy. We had uh, discussed earlier this week that we had both um, continued on with Positively Izzy. And now I'm on the third one in the series, which is just Jamie. And, uh, you know, George, you asked me what Jamie's getting into. And this is, this is heavy middle school stuff. This is... Um, you know, you've got you've got two girls who have been best buddies since kindergarten. They've known each other forever. They gab about everything. They're just having the time of their lives. Um, and then new friend comes in, and new friend is a bit of a mean girl. She um, kind of likes things, you know. And ugh, mean girl in seventh grade is subjective, but she just really likes things her way. <laughs> and <laughs> girls who tend to like things their way tend to find people who also go along with other people who like things their way. <laughs> they find little lemmings that just kind of corral along with them. Um, so Mean Girl, Celia, um, befriends um, Jamie's kind of friend group. And um, as they are progressing and maturing in their middle school age, um, Celia and the rest of the group, um, you know, start liking different things. They want to put on makeup. They want to talk about boys. They want to... Um, you know, like wear like the really cute clothes for their changing bodies and everything along those lines. And um, Jamie's just not there yet. She's mm-hmm. just not feeling it. She's she's like, no, actually, I kind of still like my Disney movies and <laughs> I don't really want to wear makeup. And I like my body the way it is, even though it's not changing yet. <laughs> um, and so... Celia has an idea that uh, Jamie just doesn't fit in with the group anymore. Her own group, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, so she tells Jamie's best friend, who you know she's been besties with since kindergarten, um, that really she needs to be the one to tell Jamie uh, that she's out. 
and she gets the boot. Uh, right. I know. Middle school is cruel. And I think I shared this earlier <laughs> that uh, I was part of a group that had this happen <laughs> in, it, in middle school. So this is not far from the truth. Um, okay. So that, anyway, that's the gist of, of uh, that's the gist of not Jess Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> and it is it is a good one. Uh, like I said, it's a really it's a true story. I mean, like anyone can relate to this. This, this highly relatable. Um, George and I were were reminiscing that there's a twist in Positively Izzy that we both really enjoyed that um, you don't really pick up until like the last page of the book, uh, which makes you go back and reread the entire book, um, which I appreciate that the book only took me an hour to read anyway, so <laughs> I can go back and reread the book and really catch all those clues. But there's a twist in the first one, <laughs> and I had no idea. <laughs> I, I, mm-hmm. I'm just disappointed in myself. Like I, I think I was just reading it in my middle school mindset, and I was like, of course, they're two totally separate people. It was like a ty- Tyler Durden. Is mm-hmm. that kind of the... <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing that we don't talk about Fight Club. Yes, that's that's what's happening a little bit in the first one that I totally missed. Went right over my head. But it's, it's more like uh, Who Killed Roger Ackroyd because the uh, where the narrator is actually the killer. Yeah, and you don't realize. Right. Mm-hmm. So if anybody has never read that hundred year old novel by Agatha Christie, I apologize for the spoiler. <laughs> right. But uh, <laughs> you missed it. Yeah. Right. So, so that's just Jamie uh, Terry Liebenson is going to be at the Delaware Main Library on Saturday, which is tomorrow if you're listening on Friday, and she's going to be there at two o'clock, and she's going to have a wonderful time with us. Mm-hmm. We're really looking forward to it. Yeah. So. All right. So Katie, what are you listening to reading? binging on whatever. Sure. Right now, I'm going to talk about this book I brought along with me called Steeped in Stories. Um, It is by Matali Perkins. The subtitle of this is Timeless Children's Novels to Refresh Our Tired Souls. Oh. And it is an excellent book. It's First of all, the author gives a bunch of credit to libraries and librarians and children's literature in her life growing up. But this book focuses on seven classic novels and what it means to go back and read them as adults. So I have a friend group that I met from library school, and we're using this as a virtual book discussion theme. But then we're reading all of the books within it. And it's fun for me because as an adult services librarian, I don't read a lot of youth things anymore. And so going back and reading some classics is really interesting. And this, the chapters here also address some of the maybe problematic themes in some older books and how to talk to kids today about some of those themes if they go back and read those books. So, so far I have revisited after many years, Anne of Green Gables. Okay. Loved rereading that. That was amazing. And I just, it changed how I felt about that book. It was great. I also read Heidi for the first time mm, mm-hmm. and thought that was a really fun thing to come back to. And it's interesting to see how how these feel as a grown-up to read them when they're meant for kids. Right. But the other books in here are Emily of Deep Valley, which I had never read, The Hobbit, mm-hmm. Little Women, A Little Princess, uh, The Silver Chair, and then there are chapter and discussion questions in each chapter for how you can talk about these books once you read them. So I highly recommend this if you want to go back to the classics and also think about how to revisit those classics and talk to kids today about them. Yeah. So highly recommended. So many of them have been made into movies too, and at least two of them that were made into movies had Shirley Temple in them. That's true. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. But you know, the funny thing is, the all of all of those, the only one I've read is Little Women. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. So 
That's you never it. read The Hobbit? I, I've tried like four <laughs> times to read The Hobbit, and I just can't get yeah. into it. Sure. I, I just, yeah, it's just... I just saw an audio version of it, and I thought, maybe I'll try listening to the audio maybe. version. Maybe. Hobbit's oh, actually yeah. the only Tolkien one that I've done. I've not done any of the Lord of the Rings series. I've read all of them. I read them once. I don't know if I need to read The Hobbit again. You did it. You yeah. did it. I you checked it off the list. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, so uh, I like those choices, though. It could be really interesting. Nice way to, you, I wonder if you could form a book club around that. Yeah, right. exactly. That'd be pretty popular. Absolutely. So, okay, so well, um, I'm continuing my deep dive into William Kent Kruger right now, since he's coming to Delaware for a program with Friends of the Library later this month. And so I just finished reading the um, the one that a lot of people consider his masterpiece, Ordinary Grace. Okay. And this was published in 2013. Uh, and it is the journey of the drum family through the summer. The drum family. Really? Only one M, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. What? Yeah, I know. I don't. The first time they said that, I said, "Ooh, I wonder if they're really related to Nicole." That's amazing. <laughs> um, anyway, it's uh, the summer of 1961. They're in a small town in Minnesota. Uh, Dad Nathan is a Methodist minister. Mom Ruth is a homemaker with a rich father who creates a little bit of uncomfortableness for the uh, for Nathan, uh, but she's also has a very unfulfilled avocation as a singer. She, she had. Nathan was originally going to be a hotshot lawyer, was brilliant lawyer, goes off to World War II, has a spiritual awakening, comes back a minister after he's married her. So she's got like these high level aspirations for what her life is going to be like. And all of a sudden there are kind of, uh, you know, changed, changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the minister's life is not exactly like being a hotshot lawyer. No. <laughs> um, so the oldest child, Ariel, is uh, headed for Juilliard in the fall, preparing for a brilliant career as a pianist and a composer. She's a protege of an illustrious mu- musician who is originally from this town in Minnesota who's retreated there after being badly injured in World War II. Uh, again, the, the, the idea of injured people runs through this novel everywhere. Mm. Uh, let's see. Uh, so then there's Jake, who's the youngest son. He's kind of a, a sweet, naive kind of kid who... Absolutely loves his middle brother, who I'll talk about last. Uh, he, but he has this terrible stutter, and he ends up being, uh, you know, kind of uh, bullied and picked on really badly. But he's got a huge heart. So, but the story is narrated by Frank, who's the middle child. Uh, he's a fairly cynical thirteen-year-old. Uh, he keeps trying to understand the mystery of what it's like to be an adult. When he sees all around, he doesn't understand what's going on, uh, and he's trying constantly trying to figure it out. Uh, during the summer of 1961, the whole summer is marked by deaths. Mm-hmm. There are multiple deaths during this book. Before the book opens, there's a classmate uh, who's been killed by a train while walking on a railroad trestle. Uh, that same trestle is a spot from which Frank finds the body of, an, of a, a hobo who has just uh, died, it, not murder or anything like that. He's just passed away. Uh, and they call him the itinerant because they don't want to call him a bum or a mm-hmm. vagrant or a hobo. They just So they call him the itinerant when they bury him. Uh, and those aren't the only deaths that are going to happen. Those are not the only visits from the Grim, Grim Reaper in this. So New Bremen, Minnesota, where all this is happening, is populated by a number of interesting characters. Uh, Gus, who is a comrade in arms of, uh, of Nathan, and he does odd jobs. He's an alcoholic. Uh, Apparently, he and Nathan were in the same unit in the Army, and so they've, uh, they've stuck together throughout the, the uh, post-war years. 
and he becomes sort of a surrogate father, second father to Jake and to Frank. Uh, Morris Engdahl is the town bully, and every time he came in, I kept thinking of Nelson Muntz from The Simpsons. <laughs> going, uh, I don't think that's what Ken Kruger had in mind. Um, and Both I, of my children had that laugh at some point in their childhood, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, and then there's the Brandt family, which seems to rule the town because they own the local brewery. Um, mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to compare it to Duff Beer. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, and then there's uh, Emil Brandt, who is that renowned composer, but who's been badly damaged from the war. And he lives in this town with his uh, apparently autistic, although they never use that word, sister, Lisa. So while death pervades the novel, the real theme is the presence or the absence of the grace of God. Mm-hmm. It, this is a very spiritual novel in a lot of ways. Uh, Nathan finds ways to demonstrate that grace in a variety of settings. For example, when he does the funeral for the itinerant and and gives him a real humanity that has been denied to this poor guy throughout his life. Who And they never do find out who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, his wife, Ruth, though, is suffering from a, a real lack of grace, and, and that comes through. She's totally unhappy. She, uh, As a minister's wife, she smokes and drinks in public, and, uh, of course, people are scandalized by that. Um, of course, this is, remember, this is still 1961. Uh, the, the, the one gay character in the novel is, of course, killed because that's what always happened in the 50s and 60s in, in fiction and movies and everything. Um, and there's a uh, there's a lot of this talk, though, about grace and how it affects normal things. And so there are there's not only the grace, but there's also miracles that occur during this book. Not not, you know, not like Mother Teresa, from heaven, mm-hmm. yeah. but but these small miracles and coincidences and things that helps uh this time. So what I love is Kruger really captures the essence of 1961. I was just about the same age as Jake in 1961. Um, And so I remember being just as confused by adult life as he is and trying to understand a God that I couldn't comprehend. Mm. Uh, Everybody talking about him and I having having no idea what's really going on. Um, There is a mystery that's at the heart of this book. And in fact, this book won the 2014 Edgar Award for Best Novel of the Year. Interesting. But the mystery is almost too simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mm-hmm. When I'm reading this thing, I, I thought when the, the murder occurs, I thought, oh, I think I know what happened. And sure enough, in the last chapter, that's exactly what happened. Uh, so, But that's not what this book's about, really. It's, a, it's about how death brings grace and how we handle it creates either a negative or a positive grace. The pleasures of the novel aren't about whodunit. It's, it's about the thoughtful, sentimental, and deeply spiritual ruminations of Ken Kruger as mouthed through his 13-year-old character. Um, it's brilliant. It really is. Um, William Ken Kruger will be here in Delaware at the Barn at Stratford on Wednesday, April 27th. Tickets are still available at Eventbrite, and the links can be found at DelawareLibraryFriends.org or at the events section of DelawareLibrary.org. And so, he'll be our guest next and week. And he'll be our guest on the show next week, yes. So, And I will not mention Nelson Muntz while he is our <laughs> guest. So uh, we will be back to talk about National Poetry Month in just a minute, so stay tuned. Jim Rinaldi, I thought we talked about this. No mm. more snow in April. Yeah, we don't what, what is this? Come on. <laughs> right. You can do better forecasts than this. Okay. I yeah. hope if you're listening yeah. to the Sunday replay, you're going to say, there was no snow yesterday. What was that all about? That'd be great. Yeah, okay. Fingers <laughs> so, crossed. We're back with Katie Height, who's the assistant branch manager for adult services at the Orange Branch Library. And uh, so, poetry. I, as I was telling you before the show, I had a creative writing professor who told me I was the worst poet in the history of the English language. Mm. So, yeah, 
hey, I'm, I'm number one. <laughs> if you, if you shoot can't. for the moon and you miss, then you just become the worst in the entire English language. That's right. You end up just space junk. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, so tell us, what are we doing for National Poetry Month? Yes. So at the Orange Branch, when you come into our lobby, one of the things you'll see is a probably... I'm going to say easily seven foot tall tree, <laughs> our poet tree, which oh, yeah. we took very literally. Uh-huh. Um, and it is in the lobby and patrons are welcome to come in and contribute a plethora of poetry leaves. Uh, we've already got a handful of contributions last night. Folks were able to come in and write their own poems to add. But that tree is going to be up through the rest of April. And we're just celebrating what the folks at Orange and anywhere else around Delaware who wants to stop in has to say. And all the poetry that's just waiting to bubble up inside them and be shared (laughs) with the community. Um, And we have some really fun examples to share. I'm going to read just a few selections because they are all wonderful so far. Even the first day we had a handful of leaves up. So here are some of our favorites. I can't wait. They're, they're just they're wonderful. We have flowers have petals and grass are green. You are the friendliest I'd ever have seen. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I never isn't have that seen. great? I never have seen. <laughs> Here's another trees, trees with bees, beautiful trees. Accurate. Yes, indeed. Almost a haiku. Thought provoking. Mm-hmm. True. So mm-hmm. true. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I love Pokemon, and you should too. <laughs> yeah. That's a persuasive poem. Indeed. Like, Roses yeah. are red, violets are blue, some poems rhyme, this one doesn't. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like that. <laughs> don't like that one. <laughs> and this one is quickly becoming a, cl- a crowd favorite. Yes. We have Rain, 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 Rain. By Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Sam. Sam gets it. Sam. Yep. Sam knows. You know what's what? Up. I'm gonna come to Orange and I'm gonna write one tomorrow, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna. It's gonna be snow, 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 snow. Binacle. <laughs> Binacle. <laughs> <laughs> and at the um, the program last night, one of the methods of poetry that we were exploring was blackout poetry. If you're not familiar with that, you take a magazine article, a newspaper article, a printout of anything, and you find words within that allow you to create a whole new poem, and then you can black out all of the irrelevant words with Sharpie. So if you'd like to go explore a style of blackout poetry and then put that leaf up on the tree, you're welcome to do so as well. Ooh. George is talking mm. about defacing our Check It Out with Percy. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Let's see how creative we can get yeah. with something else, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I brought along um, a poem, uh, two poems by the author that got me into poetry when I was a child, which is Shel Silverstein. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. um, of course, if you've read Where the Sidewalk Ends or The Giving Tree or any of of his number of poetry collections, um, but I thought this one would be a nice one um, for our listeners. It's titled Invitation. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you are a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Ooh, that is nice. I just love, I love Shel Silverstein. He's yeah. very silly, but he's also very thoughtful. Very profound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very Indeed. profound. Yes. I was a big fan of Dorothy Parker and Ogden Nash. 
Okay. So, yeah, I, I feet firmly planted in the 1920s. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't understand poetry a lot until I was in college and I needed several writing credits. And so I took a, I took a poetry class, mm-hmm. um, which introduced me to the rules, I guess, or lack thereof in poetry. It was probably the first time that I realized that poems don't have to rhyme. <laughs> and that also when you read them, you don't break at the end of every line. You can just read it like a story. It just, you know. Mm-hmm. Verse, poem, you know, prose, all the different kind of things. They just all kind of read together. Um, we read some Sylvia Plath. Nice. We did go back and do some like children's poetry, some Shel Silverstein. Um, it was really kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. That's you can, great. You can go anywhere with that. Mm-hmm. I have been, I read um, a few poems by Maggie Smith, who mm-hmm. is local to Columbus area. She came out with a book maybe three or four years ago called Moving On. And it kind of reads like a bunch of motivational posters in its own way. (laughs) Right. So I grabbed this blurb from Maggie Smith because I thought it was really great. It says, spend time with or talk to someone who loves you exactly as you are. See yourself through their eyes. From this day on, commit to becoming someone who loves you exactly as you are. Keep moving. So every of these platitudes starts with a keep moving. But then she also came out with a companion journal that prompts readers to write their own keep moving kind of motivational pieces. So you kind of tap into your own motivation, which I think is pretty cool. That is cool. I like that. Yeah. So so what uh, got you interested in poetry, Katie? I think it's just an interesting way to express yourself in really short and concise terms. I mean, certainly there have been epic poems, but Mm -hmm. being able to just grab onto and succinctly say what you feel or what you mean because I am not a succinct person in any way uh, I, I tend to lean towards the verbose let's say so so being able to just have someone who can express himself in five lines and get to the core of an emotion I think is really amazing and, mm-hmm. and something I can't do so I like to learn about it that way mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so and again I, I, I leaned into it from the fun fun side like the Shel Silverstein, right. like the Agnes, mm-hmm. like the the, the uh, Dorothy Parker, mm-hmm. but the uh, I think that the um, the other thing that got me into it was Shakespeare. Oh uh, yeah, yes. Because as much yeah. as I like the plays, then of course there's all the sonnets, mm-hmm. and so I enjoyed those too. So and mm-hmm. and then also songwriters, when you realize lyrics are basically poetry, right? So you get a, a, a lyricist like an Ira Gershwin or a Bob Dylan or. Uh, Lennon and McCartney, mm-hmm. and you realize how that works. Mm-hmm. Most of the most of the women who I listened to in my youth in the '90s were like singer songwriters. They yeah. were like Jewel, Jewel. or mm-hmm. Alanis Morissette, or you know something like a Tori Amos, Fiona Apple. Like all of their lyrics, you know, don't follow just the regular verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus. You know, just kind mm-hmm. of things along those lines. Um, and several of them have their own books of poetry. Mm-hmm. I'll take it back a generation from that, and that's Joni Mitchell. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. Kind of the godmother of the people you just mentioned. Exactly, yeah. yes. <laughs> so, so true. Yeah, so, so I mean, that's, that's the great thing about poetry, too. It can be as incredibly serious and dense as you want it to be. You can go you know, Ezra Pound or T.S. Eliot or mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Or it can be light and fun and, like you say, 
just getting right to the heart of the matter in just, you know, a dozen words or tw- uh, you know, 10 lines or something. So. I have a beef yeah. with T.S. Eliot because uh, I, as I was researching all of my Broadway shows this season, uh, his book of poetry about <laughs> cats is the inspiration <laughs> of the musical Cats. And uh-huh. it should not have been. <laughs> no, no, it that should not. That musical makes no sense. <laughs> We're still asking what a jellicle cat <laughs> is. <laughs> to tell me more about jellicle, jellicle cats? cats? There's a seven minute opening number and I still don't understand what a jellical cat uh-huh. <laughs> What happens at the end? <laughs> the ascension? The I don't know. The ascension to space, obviously. <laughs> That's not obvious. T.S. Eliot, I got a beef with him. <laughs> but not with Andrew Lloyd Webber. Well, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I know. Andrew, he just never should have found the book. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, thank you, Katie, and I hope everybody will drop by and see the poetry, and even better, add to it. Please contribute. We'd right. love to see what you have to say. And I exactly. promise not to add to it because I don't want to ruin the, the, the great quality of what you've got there. we got a couple of things coming up this week we want to make sure we touch on. Uh, first, thank you to everybody who took advantage of the Friends book sale at Orange Branch Library last weekend. Record se- another record-setting yeah. book uh, sale one. for them. They did over $1,700 in book sales and over $300 in new members, so it was like a $2,100 day. So mm-hmm. thank you all very much. We really appreciate that. Yeah, we've got um, a good one coming up. It's a virtual program. It's called Parenting in the Digital Age, and it's uh, it's going to be a great one. You do need to register to get the Zoom link for that. Um, it's on Tweesday at 630. It's going to be great for parents of um, tweens and teens, mm. those who are really getting into technology. If you were interested in exploring a little bit more about William Ken Kruger, uh, Vicki's Afternoon Book Club this coming Wednesday uh, at Orange, it's offsite, so it's a Zoom meeting at uh, one o'clock. Is going to look at his new book, Lightning Strike. Mm-hmm. So, if you're interested in talking a little bit about him before his visit next uh, week after next, that's a good place to get started. And chicks are coming to the Delaware Main Library, so the <laughs> eggs will be dropped off on Wednesday the thirteenth. Not literally dropped. No, 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 of course they will be laid gently in their incubator <laughs> <laughs> on Wednesday the thirteenth at six o'clock, and they'll be hatching sometime within two weeks after that. Well, great. So thank you very much for being here, Katie. It's always fun to have you on the show. And I think this was your first time in the new studio, right? Yes, indeed. Nice digs. Yeah, very nice Rain, 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 rain. 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 Nicole, always a pleasure. (laughs) It was a pleasure. And Mark, it was great to have you behind the board. And uh, Gage, good luck with the car. And uh, (laughs) thanks again to the Friends of the Library for sponsoring the show. And we will see you in the stacks. Rain, rain, rain. Rain, 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 rain. rain. Bye, Sam.